So here today for Blockchain episode number six, I'm speaking with Natalia Tokar, who connects on a human level in business. She helps with communication strategies to sell, negotiate, and raise capital and connect with anyone. We we kind of connected actually on LinkedIn. We just had a had a, a brief encounter whilst talking about cold connections and we had ended up chatting a bit more and I thought, let's have a conversation about that um, on, on, on Blockchat Radio because there seems to be a lot of interesting discussion we could have. And Natalia also has been involved in tech and then blockchain for quite some time now, helping with startups and things. So I thought it'd be a really interesting conversation to have today with her and I thought it'd be interesting to bring her online. So would you like to add something onto that or is that an okay introduction? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the introduction. I think I remember exactly uh, how we uh, met on LinkedIn. You uh, you read my article, right? And I wrote that article, how to not cold message people on LinkedIn. And funny enough, a lot of my friends uh, sent me a message saying, now your article, the link to your article is in my profile. So if anybody needs, wants to contact me and wants to ask me to invest in their project, they need to read your article first. So thank you very much. <laughs> Yes, no, especially because um, because my friend posted a comment on one of your posts, and then okay. I cold messaged you, and I didn't yeah. realize that you had that whole thing going on about cold messaging. And I was like, oh, how, how ironic! Like I didn't actually read the article before messaging you, but you're like, oh, but somehow you you're like, you're like okay about it. I was like, cool. I said, like, oh, oh God, I just cold messaged her, and she's like really against that. Oh, hey, oh well, it's okay. <laughs> no, no, I'm not against cold messages, but and your message was it was good. It was human, so I was interested in in responding to you. Uh, I'm not against cold messaging, and I really believe that it's the easiest and probably the cheapest way to meet new people. Uh, I mean, the cheapest marketing tool. If we talk about that, however, you always want to make a cold message warm. You always want to show that you actually care about a person you're writing to and the person you're reaching out to, because a lot of people just copy paste whatever they created two months ago and they sent a mass email to everybody. And at some point I just was so tired of receiving the same messages from people across the globe, really people from various geographies, but the message was always the same. And I, I put some screenshots in that article. It, it's just zero interest in uh, a person you're writing to. And um, the only request is please invest in my project. Please look at my project. Please confirm how awesome I am. <laughs> do you want to? Do you want me to send more information? It's um, it's really annoying that people um, don't really care about their communication partners, and they expect you to care and to do business with them. That's yeah. That's really interesting. I think there's a couple of times where I've been on online and had a pop up say, "Oh, um, hi, Hassani." we're selling this product or doing this fundraise do you want to get involved and it's like well i haven't had any information about what wow. it is you're doing i don't know who you are you aren't part of my network why would i give you money for your thing and it's just like come on this is not cool it's not the first thing you ask you know when you introduce yourself to a person <laughs> and it's just mad yeah. do you want to get involved i'll just say no <laughs> Shall I send you more information no <laughs> and then the worst thing as well is just people connecting for the sake of connecting. I mean, for example, I had a message recently right. and I said, hey, Hassani, I noticed you from your profile and would like to connect. That, that's, <laughs> what does it even mean, right? I <laughs> mean, me and a friend of mine were just cracking up, laughing, because we were like, what? I noticed you from your profile and I would like yeah. to connect. It's just like, what? So that was hilarious. And that happens all the time, you know? 
but it only shows that people are terribly inattentive to other people. And it also shows that people are unable to build this, to build relationships and to start a human communications, human conversation. I think the reason behind it is that we're also bombarded, first of all, with information. So it's I understand very well why people immediately reply no or don't reply to these messages or just block those people who send these messages. But I also, I think I understand why people think it's an appropriate way to reach out to new people. Because for the last maybe five years, we've been bombarded with instructions and templates and sample messages, you know, how to, 10 ways to reach out to new people, 15 perfect cold email templates, you know, do this one, two, three, and send this exactly to that person, they will respond. So people at some point, I think they just stopped thinking and they started simply copying and pasting those templates and those instructions. Um, thinking that this is a really cool way to communicate, but in fact, it doesn't really work. Yeah, and I think there's also this sense of this sense of impatience that comes yes, with it because right. people are trying to, yeah, get ahead and become successful as quickly as possible. But then you have to ask, well, one, you know, what is the true nature of having lo loads of connections on on LinkedIn, and two, and two, what is it actually trying to achieve to make you feel successful? So. This is a very, very good point that you brought up right now, impatience. You know, I, I run my consultant from here and I work with established companies and startups. And uh, I coach sales teams when we talk about big companies and startup teams. And the one thing that I have to teach them and I have to every time explain to people is that if a person says no, it doesn't mean the end of the relationship, <laughs> you know? So when the client True. doesn't buy something from you today, it doesn't mean it's the end and it doesn't mean you just have to you know turn around walk away and because this is what most startups do okay you're going to invest in my project uh and they hear a no and they go like oh okay thank you next <laughs> so they don't really try to make any connection or to build any relationship they're so desperate for money and they're so um under pressure because of their own deadlines, you know, fundraising always has deadlines that they forget that they're talking to human beings who yeah. don't just walk around carrying checks in their pockets and handing them out. Hey, do you want to check for a hundred thousand dollars or a million? It doesn't happen like that. It's true. I think that's a really important point about building the relationship with somebody because I think particularly with investment or even in day-to-day -day relationships with actual people that aren't about business. You know, you have to actually invest and make meaningful investments over time. And then as and when things pop up and requirements, you know, come up, then you're able to ask questions for help or ask for help, you know, at the right time. And mostly is a history, a legacy, you know, of meaningful investments to the relationship so that it doesn't seem out of the ordinary. It doesn't seem unreasonable to ask for help. So... I think that's quite a kind of an issue that we see a lot in, in business is that people are in a rush and are unwilling to make meaningful investments because they're always so impatient to get to the next step. Yeah, yeah. You know, I also think the problem is that um, we understand different things uh, when we say the same words. What I mean is, for example, I, I redefined sales for myself at one point and um, 
because we all say the same word, which is sales or fundraising, but we put different meaning in those in these words, and, and this is where uh, the mismatch happens. So sales to me is not when you bombard a person with cold email, cold emails and messages, and you follow up. And you have you made up your mind yet? Do you want to buy? Do you want to invest now? Or shall I send you more information? Can I follow up maybe a month later? Uh, you know, uh, oh, we have this new feature. Please have a look. So it's not sales. It's not when you're trying hard to sell something to the person without even asking or trying to find out if the person needs it. To me, it's not really sales. Um, what to me sales is, is when a person comes to me and says, Natalia, I really like what you do and I need it. And I think I need two of those for me and my friend. Can I have it now, please? Because I can't wait until tomorrow. <laughs> so this is mm. how I sell and, and, uh, and, and this is how my firm works. It's it, You invest time in building relationships with people and people uh, you know, they see that you're for real and it takes time, you know, it, it's not instant. It's not like you press a button and you're friends like on Facebook, you know, it takes time to build this relationship, but then people come to you and, and they re they want to buy. It's not when you want to sell, it doesn't work. But when people want to buy, this is when the sales happens. The same with that happens with fundraising. People are, again, the deadlines are pressing them because they need to raise money in the next uh, six months and some startups even try to do it in a month or two months which is crazy but they bombard investors with these messages look i need money in two months and you need to invest now because if you don't invest my product is done this is the message they don't say it with words but when you sit in front of those people this is what i see in their eyes and and, and sales teams the same story uh, they are they feel the pressure from the headquarters and they have crazy kpis that you need to sell this much until the end of the year and when they go to clients they can have a perfect pitch they can have a perfect presentation. Well, I should say that some people, you know, um, carry 163 slides with them all the time, which is not always necessary. But, but when they sit in front of the person and they give that talk and they pitch, what I see in their eyes is a message. If you don't buy, I'm not, I'm not going to get a premium this month. This is, you know, and it's it's there. You Even though you don't say it with words, but it's there. And when people feel this kind of pressure, they always say no. Yes. And every time I have to explain it to people that we communicate so much more beyond words. Mm. And just crafting a beautiful message is important, but it's not enough. That's that's really interesting, um, particularly with the sales and premiums yeah. and fundraising, because when we're thinking about raising capital for a project, we think in terms of months and quarters, etc. I think in terms of but people. I think something Always we forget. <laughs> yeah, because it's people who give you money. It's not like you, it's people. Yeah, exactly. It's people. I always think in terms of people. That's super interesting because when thinking about raising capital, we think in terms of months and quarters. But maybe we should start thinking more in terms of the time that it may require to build a relationship as part of the strategy because you can't assume that sending emails because you know, a VC will get a thousand emails exactly. a day and that person slammed and under pressure and under deadlines as well. So maybe you should think about, oh, maybe I should go to a couple of events where that VC person is, have a few coffees, curfew meals. I would say you should, you should start building relationships before you start fundraising <laughs> process. Yeah. So it's okay go on go on no i'm just saying you know when when you understand and you want to raise capital for your company and this is when you realize oh i don't have 
I don't have a network of people who like me, who know me and who would like to invest, you're too late. You need to start building relationships. And when you have that network, this is when you start the fundraising process, which, uh, you know, you can schedule for six months at least. It, it takes on average three to six months if you have a network. If you don't have a network, it's a torture. And when, what happens is then, you know, projects and startups, and I see this all the time, they hire agents. Uh, well, the biggest mistake I would say, they hire agents, sales agents, and they hire speakers. So when, um, yeah, so when a project, let's say, is, is when the team is very technical and the CTO runs the entire thing, but they, the CTO understands, look, I'm not, a native I'm not a good public speaker, so I'm going to invite somebody to speak at a conference or at an event on, the, on behalf of my project, and we'll make this person an advisor, let's say, an official advisor. But what happens is that this person actually talks for money on stage about a project that he's not part of wow. at all, completely. He's not involved in this project. He doesn't know exactly. He can know, go deeper. He can make a good presentation, but investors are usually never impressed with that because they want to see the person who actually built this thing, who actually made this happen because they're not going to invest in the speaker on the sta on stage. They're going to invest in the person behind, you know, who, who actually is doing everything and who is going to be doing it for the next uh, one, two, three, five, seven years. And the, the second biggest mistake is that when they hire sales agents, and this happens a lot, believe me, when a startup um, raises capital, uh, they don't have a big enough, big, big enough network and they need someone who can sell their project, let's say in Asia or in the US or in Latin America or in Russia, and they hire local agents who go and pitch their startup. The only thing that motivates these agents is their commission. And investors see that. It's so obvious because, you know, they pitch a project <laughs> that they don't believe in. They pitch the project that they, they don't understand. And people don't understand that it's it's super obvious for investors because investors are investors and they have this amount of money to invest just for the reason that they read people very well. These people who you're asking for money, they read people very, very well. And when they see a person who is driven by the size of their commission, it's not just not working. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's some really interesting insight that I hadn't thought of in that I level see. of depth before. Yeah. Um, I definitely, ha yeah, I definitely have not seen that before. I have not seen a pitch where there is a hired sales guy giving the pitch i've always well officially come on officially they will be the advisor so they you know they you, you you know they will probably be even on the on the web page of a startup that and they will have an interesting title but in fact this is just a person who is selling the project to their network and they have a cool title like an advisor but you know mm. and i i'm approached by startups you know to be their salesperson all the time and i know a lot of people who do the same thing oh you have a cool network of investors can you sell my project we'll pay you five ten percent and and they it's always there it's in the air but i know that it doesn't work with investors because People don't care about projects. They care about their commission. That's, yeah. I mean, for example, a story about that recently I've encountered is um, I went on a little trip over to Barcelona, met with some startups out there, and a couple of guys from a startup called, it's basically in fintech, they're called Go In. And these two, mm -hmm. two young guys, both 23 years old, um, very charming, bright, you know, highly educated, like smart guys. Um, and they're 23 years old, mm -hmm. and they raised 20 million for their project, you know? And like, I can see why, because when we were speaking to them about their pitch, talking about their products, the way they just are, is like attractive, charming, smart people. 
you can see that you want to invest yep. in those people, you know? And it made, it made sense what, what they were able to raise that amount of money so quickly because they've got a track record. Uh, they they walk the walk and talk the talk. So I really can't understand that about investing in the people as opposed to investing in, I mean, product obviously is important. Obviously it's important, the product, but the actual people themselves are going to work with you and people you can be seeing mm -hmm. once a month for the next five years, you know, or once once a week maybe for the next five years. That's really important about who you're going to work with, how that relationship will be in, in, uh, into the future, you know? Exactly. So <laughs> that's a very good point because and, and now you understand why uh, people who cold message me or other investors on LinkedIn, they get a no because oh do you want to invest in my product have a look at my project have a look at my website people don't invest in products they invest in people and uh, i have um, in a very interesting circle of people i would say um, yeah, about five six investors who have a very interesting investment strategy you know what they do when they make a decision whether they want to invest in a project or not they join the actual team for a week. So they sit together in their office, they, they, they have them do their everyday job. So they spend the entire team, the entire week with the team in their office. And you know they are involved in day-to-day -day operations because they wanna see how comfortable they will be working with those people. They participate in the brainstorming sessions, mm -hmm. you know, they help them with resources, but they really become a part of the team. And uh, investors, okay, I, look, I, I I think I, I understand the way they think is I communicate a lot. With what they share with me is they invest in the founder in the first place because the founder is the person who is responsible for building that team, for finding the right talent. Uh, the initial team can change. The founder will not change. But the founder is the person who will be building the team. And they want to be confident in his or her ability to create that team and to drive the team, to motivate the team. Uh, you know, that's important. Yeah, I think that's really important. Um, I think the role of a founder, the role of an entrepreneur, yeah. you know, is that of a leader, ultimately. And an investor wants to make sure he or she is investing in the right leader to lead the right project. So that's really, really, really interesting. And in terms of, you know, social skills, networking and pitching, you know, tell me some of the the key faux pas or the key, you know, the, the really bad things that you've seen in tech in terms of networking and, and pitching and what could a better example of that have been? Oh, you know, to be honest, been? 2017 was the year of ICOs and I've been to so many conferences and events and I should tell you, every ICO pitch broke my heart because it's just terrible. But it's interesting that in 2018, I see that the demand for social skills for technical teams is growing. And there's I recently discovered a podcast for myself, which is called Soft Skills Engineering, where um, hmm. people, I think one is a developer working on Alexa. And another is also, another one is also a developer. Two guys who are discussing about who are discussing the need of social skills for technical people. And the most popular question on that podcast is: A developer uh, says, uh, "My boss wants me to go and speak at technical meetups and later probably at conferences. Please help me. I'm a developer. I'm not a I'm not a speaker. So what do I do?" They find it really frustrating. So the worst thing you can do. When you present a, a, a technical project, mm. uh, is is jump right into the details <laughs> that nobody understands. <laughs> yeah. When it's a long 
message yes. full of technical sophisticated details that nobody understands and you should always practice your pitch before you actually go and speak on stage and ask for feedback very often investors share with me that and, and i've seen it myself after a 15 minute pitch you want to ask a person so thank you very much for your presentation so what is your product about <laughs> it's still not clear um my tip would be always to uh, so crystallize your message before you start uh, a talk and you know i had a very cool mentor who taught me how to do public speaking and he would always say natalia if you can't put your message in 10 words there is no speech <laughs> <laughs> so, That's yeah, great. So just, wow good mentor well, and, and, and you know uh, the easiest thing you can do is just tweeting daily about your project because a tweet is what 140 characters long you can't really write more so if you want to get feedback from real people to start tweeting key messages about your product and you will practice putting it in a very simple and short and powerful form but crystallize that message for yourself what is your project about and why does it even exist and like get feedback from real people um what what the teams do and mistakes they make is that they practice their pitches inside their own teams you know <laughs> yeah so it's, it's like a team of five or a team of four and where the ceo is a total authority and they they create the slides they care about the visuals but very rarely they actually go over the pitch itself and even when they do they do it inside their team and then pe those four or five people inside the team decide if it's good or not they have done it so many times that they don't hear themselves in they don't see uh, this anymore. They, you need someone from outside to tell you if it's clear or not, always. That's, that's the key role. So the, the first two things you want to do is you want to crystallize your message, put it in 10 words or less, and uh, ask for feedback. And also ask for someone outside of your project to give you feedback on your pitch. That would help yeah. in the beginning, really. Yeah, I think it's really important. And I think as well, going even further than that, is that if you have just some raw content, it's important not to spend too long necessarily working on the design because you can always, if you have a bit of capital, you can always spend a bit of money on having a designer put the raw content into something nice. But I feel yeah. as though you can get really carried away with trying to make a presentation look absolutely exactly. beautiful when actually focus on the content. Yeah, and then what do you mean by content as well? Uh, so a lot of as yeah, you're right. A lot of folk, a lot of people focus on the visuals, eyes on making it like beautiful, putting a lot of details into there. Actually, investors don't care, and um, they, a lot of them don't have the depth of understanding of all the technical things really. But investors want to hear why, why it exists why it's going to be a big thing why do you care about making this happen well because maybe you're the kind of person who will find a more interesting idea a year from now you know yeah, <laughs> you, or true. you're going to spend all this capital on nothing or you don't know how to manage a budget and uh, they also want to hear why they should care you know what is there for them Mm, that's true. What is the possible exit strategy? You know, what are you gonna? What am I gonna get for the money and the time I'm investing? So all these whys are missing. But what startups are focusing on is what we're gonna build this and this, and then let me give you a ten-minute presentation about how we're gonna do it. I don't really care because uh, what you a uh, pitch. Uh, another insight that I got and I 
scare here. It, many startups think that a pitch is a monologue. A pitch is um, you know, a five-minute talk that you learn by heart, that you spend a lot of time creating, and then you learn it by heart, and you just deliver it to investors one by one. <laughs> five, 10, 15-minute uh, monologue. In reality, it should be a dialogue. A pitch is a dialogue. So you you say why you're doing this. And mm. if the why gets their attention, they will always ask you, tell me more. And how exactly you're going to do this? It, it, you, you know, if, if these questions just don't follow, it means your pitch is something's wrong with your pitch. Because people, the attention span is so short. Yeah. People, if people listen to you for 10 minutes and, and they don't interrupt you and they don't have... You know, their, their facial expression says nothing. Probably they're not listening anymore. <laughs> One of the That's exercises true. I do with uh, people is, you know, when, when they, we practice pitches and another person says nothing for 15 minutes and the person who was doing the pitch is done and they're like, okay, I'm done. And I ask, like, how do you know that the person in front of you was actually listening? And this question blows their mind because they're like, oh, I never even thought about it. Like, oh, were you actually listening? <laughs> wow. Because the person doesn't, doesn't send any signal. Like, there is no like, oh, yeah, interesting anymore. There is nothing. And especially if it's a phone page, you don't know if a person is actually listening. This is why if you aim at giving a, a, an impressive monologue, you will always fail. It has to be a dialogue. It has to be a dialogue. I, I really get that. I remember when I first pitched for my first early businesses back in the day, uh, I must have been about probably 18 or 19 years old and it was a music business and I was pitching to a couple of investors for a bit of capital to kind of grow what I was doing. And it was quite interesting because obviously as an entrepreneur, as, as a founder talking about your vision and your company, you are quite nervous and you are quite emotional because it's your baby you're trying to sell to the yeah. world and get capital for. And I remember, you know, giving this pitch and one of the investors literally was falling asleep. And I was just like, I'm not bad at presenting. I'm actually like, okay at presenting. I'm actually like, okay. And I was like, what? Um, but, but, but again, like, although I have my pitch like beautiful, although, you know, I generally give good presentations historically. And even then I was like, wait, why is she falling asleep? Like, I'm usually okay at this, at this like thing that I do presentation. Exactly. But, 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 but I realized what it was is that, well, what may have been as well, maybe I'm just boring, but, but as well, is that she has been in that hot, warm room listening to pictures from young people all day. Mm. And she was just tired, you know? And I was like, Lack of oxygen. <laughs> well, literally, yeah. And I think, particularly at pitching events, you know, the, the, the investors are going to be just tired, you know, at the end of it. So, yes. I mean, if you're the first person pitching, you know, they've had their coffee, had had their croissants, they're keen, they want to hear your presentation. But, you know, if it's towards the end, like, man, like, you know, you have to really yeah. be, you know, you know, using fireworks and lasers to get their attention, you know? <laughs> Not necessarily fireworks and lasers, but that's true. If you're like number 16 presenting and they have looked presentations before you, you really need to stand out. And I, I would say it doesn't really matter if you're one or number 16 you need to learn to stand out anytime i really like how sally hawkscott describes that um, i like her book how, how to be fascinating but she says this quote that's on my mind all the time you don't need to learn to be fascinating you need to unlearn to be boring <laughs> mm. yeah. yeah and and she also says you either uh, stand out or you take up space that's it there's no other mm. option <laughs> so so i guess 
Just on that point, like what is boring in terms of general personality? Boring is me, 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 me. Look at me, look at my project. This is boring. <laughs> I, I, want, I want to ask you a question. Are you talking actually about yourself or are you talking to me? So, and even like what, what you shared right now, when you saw that the person was falling asleep, the first thing that you were worried about is, am I a bad presenter, right? Like mm -hmm. you were like worried, am I a bad presenter? Is anything wrong with me? The question that startups should ask at this point is, okay, what is the person actually is, what is, what, what are they interested in? So I obviously couldn't get their attention. What could I say to get their attention and what is interesting for them? You're making a presentation for them. It's a dialogue. If you're making a presentation to impress someone with your monologue, you're probably in the wrong room. <laughs> so if you're asking for money. Yeah. So the, what, it's boring when it's not, when people cannot relate to it, when they don't understand why they're even listening. Then it's boring. Mm, that's really interesting. So, so for millennials, for people, you know, young people who are, you know, pitching for the first few times, you know, I'm part of a couple of, you know, entrepreneurship groups and societies and, you know, we're all young people, you know, we're all like, you know, mid-20s or early-20s or, you know, I don't know, whatever. Well, I think um, millennials and, are like people who are closer to 30 and a little above 30. So these are millennials, I think. Yeah. Is, is that more kind of gen... Gen Yers, I, I, Gen X, Gen Y. Uh, I'm not too sure exactly. Yeah, what the younger was Generation Z. I think these are the people who are like turning 20 and a little over 20 right now. Millennials are, okay. I think, I would say from 25 to 35. I think, yeah, people who were born after 84, I believe, they're millennials. If I'm not. Yeah. So I'm a millennial, <laughs> and. I'm, yeah, you too. And I have friends who mm -hmm. are Gen Zers, mm -hmm. and yeah, we're kind of part of entrepreneurship and network and stuff. And I think people always ask about pitching and you know things to avoid, things to do, how to make relationships, how to get the the right things at the right time. And I think this is really important to them in terms of making sure you're not speaking in terms of a monologue but speaking in terms of a dialogue and then when speaking to investors you want to be addressing all of the whys not the yeah. what but addressing the why <clears throat> and also presenting yourself as a person that the investor would like to invest in rather than the products i've captured those three main points is that kind of the gist of what you're saying on that or is, is there anything else i've missed out mm, yeah i would say that's the gist yeah <laughs> and uh, continuously learn to communicate because relationship is the relationship doesn't end when they give you money it's just the beginning right mm -hmm. you're gonna have conflicts you, you look when when startups get their money from investors like 80 percent of the times they're gonna spend it too early or they're gonna misplace it or they're gonna come back in six months and ask for more money they're gonna hire the wrong people they're gonna they're gonna fire the right people a lot of stuff will happen they're gonna make a lot of mistakes and a normal investor usually understands that he or she understands what they're gonna deal with in the next years so uh, they need uh, investors what i like about them the really good ones they allow you to make mistakes and they're ready for you to fail and to make mistakes as long as you prove that uh, you know you're really serious about that relationship and you're able to communicate you're not gonna hide you're not gonna run away you're not gonna behave as a child you know who um did something wrong and now doesn't want mama to cry or whatever you know so it's true they understand all this they understand that all these things will be you know will come um and uh, showing the ability to communicate consistently continuously and you know like it, it's a process that never stops that it, it, it never ends and for millennials um 
Simon Sinek, you know, gives the, I think he's given the best talk on millennials on the topic of, on the notion of instant gratification. Like we grew up, when I grew up, actually, I didn't have a, an iPad when I was five, but <laughs> right now, <we're laughs> the generation, uh, yes, that they have it right now. But we are so used to having our phones, you know, uh, with us all the time. And if we need something, you know, we order something online on Amazon, you can buy anything in one click, right? You're one click away mm. from buying anything you want. Even dating, you just swipe right. That's it. Like you know, it's instant gratification. True. People are used to the fact that they just need to swipe their finger or press a button, and it's done. And it's really hard for them to accept that when you when you build relationship with a person, it takes longer. Mm. You can't make someone trust you on day one. You can't make an impact in in three months. You know, once you join a company, uh, and and you can't convince a person to invest in you long term if you've known each other for two weeks. It takes longer than that, and it's just hard for millennials to. To, to understand because they've had so many Such a grasp. yeah because they've had yeah, so many other so many proofs that it's possible to do things instantly <laughs> and, and and in this area of life it just doesn't mm. <laughs> you need to have the patience wow so yeah I mean entrepreneurship obviously yeah, is a long, a long game isn't it it's a really long game and <laughs> yeah we get into this mindset of being instant gratification bam 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 bosh 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 you know, Uber Eats, Tinder, whatever, you know, yeah. it's, all, it's, all, it's all quick, you know? And we have to take a step a foot off, the, off of the gas pedal and be like, okay, this is gonna take some time. Let's, let's plan into our strategy. Let's plan into this six months for relationship building, you know, and a year for developing a network. And I think that's what comes, as I said before, is doing that groundwork, I think, as a quote that I always refer back to, I love this quote, and it says, uh, dig your well before you're thirsty. Yeah. Isn't that great? Isn't, isn't, isn't that That's great? Exactly, and it's, like, yeah, it's a good analogy, right? <laughs> you know, and I really think that if you want to do something, you have to be able to, you have to have had the resources, the tools, the network to do that before you actually want to do it. You know, yeah. I think people forget that. They either forget you, that. Go on. No, I just wanted to make one small comment where you said that you need to make a plan, okay, let's build a network and let's build a relationship in the next six months. I just want to make a comment here that relationships, the beauty of human communication, human relationships is that they happen naturally. Mm. You, of course, when you make a business plan, you kind of, you know, you plan this 12 months ahead of the fundraising process, six months, whatever, to establish your network because you want to get the feedback from clients, from people who are using your product, you want to get some traction, whatever. But you don't really look at a person as um an entry in your CRM system and you look at your pipe drive or whatever CRM system Salesforce you're using, okay, John Smith, relationship building stage three, taking him out to dinner tonight. You know, it doesn't it doesn't have to be like this because many take this mm -hmm. literally and human relationships, you know, they, they happen naturally. You can't you can you don't have an instruction for that. There is no instruction for that. And you really have to learn to be genuinely interested in a person. It's, it's a mutual exchange that happens very naturally. So you, you, you should plan, but at the same time, you don't really meticulously follow that process. And you treat people as people, not as entries in your CRM system. That's, yeah, that's really powerful. That's really true. Because we can get into this mindset of, yeah, again, just rushing 
rushing through, rushing, rushing to be quote unquote successful. But what does it all mean? You what know? does even successful mean? I want to ask. You know? Exactly. What, what is even successful? Exactly. A lot of people again. The meaning is different. We all hear the words sales, fundraising, success, but what does it even mean? Because if this, what is success to you, probably it's not the same, you know, for me, this is how people would think. Because you're communicating yeah. the meaning, not just the words. Um, yeah, because success, let's just think of the day. Success is really interesting because it's abstract, it's subjective, it's, it's context-specific, and it's also time-variant. Yeah. Because what makes you successful at age 10 it's different at age 20 yeah, of course. <laughs> and different at age 40. And it's also, you know, subjective because success on one, one day may just be finishing a deadline, whereas the next day could be, you know, doing an ICO. And I realized that really it's a game that we play with ourselves and we, can we play with each other. Like success basically is a multiplayer online game, essentially. Um, so it's quite, it's quite hilarious. Um, so I think that that, you know, there's nothing wrong with building companies and having fun. But you have to enjoy the process and you have to really live the process and engage with it. Otherwise, you know, you're just playing the multiplayer online game. You know, you're just posting tweets and sending cold messages. And for what? You know, so I, I always kind of come back to that when entrepreneurship is discussed. You know, you have to really dig into the meaning of it and why you're doing it. If it's the process, the love and the vision, that's awesome. Do it. But if it's in terms of yeah just playing playing a game just trying to trying to i don't know get something over the line with no meaning well then there's no point you might as well go on xbox and play play mm -hmm. i don't know um a popular video game right now i don't know <laughs> whatever game games yeah. are right now <laughs> Absolutely. it's very context related as you said success is very context related you know what how most people understand success in tech and when it comes to startups and fundraising is they approach a person with a message. Well, they don't say this message with words, but it's there. The message is, look, I have an agenda. I need to become successful. I need mm. to help you. <laughs> That's the message. Like, and like, okay, you have an agenda. I get it. But it, it doesn't really mean I need to give you my money. Uh, for startups, it's, look, the challenge for startups when they're uh, raising capital or when they're looking for money, if you, if you look at it from a different perspective, the challenge for them is, uh, move to the next level of people. Right now, they're surrounded by people who can help them to develop their software, to their to develop their thing. Uh, maybe they're surrounded by clients who are enjoying trying the product they're creating. But the ultimate challenge during the fundraising process is to move to the new level of people. And this new level of people right now doesn't care about their existence, doesn't probably know about their existence. They live and I'm talking about investors, strategic investors, people who can really bring your company to the next level. It's the new level of people. Before you approach them, they have no idea you exist. So how do you move to that next level of people? Only with the right communication strategies. You need to learn to communicate on their level because before you get there, they don't care about you. Mm -hmm. and, and, and this is the ultimate goal and strategy because those people, if they really believe in you, if you are on the same page, if you are at the same, at the same level, they can take your company um, to Japan. They can you know, help you open an office in Korea. They can introduce you to someone you need. But when you approach a person with this kind of strategy, I have an agenda to all your network. It's like, yeah, fine. <laughs> but you're probably talking to the wrong person. Mm. That's quite interesting. He mentioned that communication can be used as a 
leveler. So you mentioned how communication. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Different people communicate. It's an indicator levels. of level. That's quite interesting. It's an indicator of status. Yeah, yeah, is, yeah. is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah. Well, it's kind of not a social, so not a social status, right? You have to. Not, don't get me wrong, but I definitely see that people communicate at different levels. Um, absolutely. Hmm. And you need, if you want to go there, like, let's say recently I was um, coaching a sales team and the challenge was, it's an international consulting company, and the challenge was that they were all a team of key account managers. And before that, they were selling to the same key account managers in different companies who would have to go and sell it to their bosses. And they hired me to train the sales team to sell to business unit heads and CEOs and CFOs and CROs. So to, to people, you know, the next level. Mm-hmm. And for them, it was a real challenge. You know, how do you talk to those people? How do you sell to them? They don't care about your pitches. They don't care about your presentations. You can't come in there and give a and, and present your slides. They don't care about that. They care about this human connection that those people were never trained to make. Wow. Because they were trained to give a, a pitch, to follow up, to ask questions, and to offer a discount. That's it. That's super interesting. And I think a lot of, like, a lot of companies now um organize sales training for their employees and i think people are just fed up but so many sales teams have done so many sales training uh, programs that it's just a little too much they really behave as robots <laughs> they 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 learn this pitches and scripts by heart and uh, you know i think i think people are just forgetting how to communicate they follow a script and i never want to speak to a robot i want to speak to a human <laughs> <laughs> not sure no one is excited when a robot speaks to them and, and yet everybody learns to do that. It, to me it's counterintuitive. No, <laughs> I, I, I really agree with that. And I think, yeah, there's obviously a role for sales. And I liked what you mentioned earlier about the most effective way to sale likely is mm-hmm. a situation where a person likes your thing and likes you so much, they're calling you up for it. And yeah. you want to, again, I'm very careful the words that I use because I don't want to sound, you know, um, trying not to sound as though you're playing people, but you want to steer the relationship in such a way that the person wants your time, energy, and product, as opposed to you having to always chase their time and energy. Is that kind of what? But you also, one one ingredient, one component is is what I'm saying. When I sell something, I also have the luxury to choose who Mm. I'm going to sell to. I choose people I'm going to work with. I don't like, and, and here communication is also a criteria for me, the communication strategy and, and the way people communicate. Because if people just, you know, approach me with, here is the money, you need to do this for me, I'm going to say no. Mm. <laughs> so it's, a, yes, I want people to uh, approach me and ask for the thing that I'm doing, ask me to sell whatever I have to them, but it has to be the right approach. We need to be on the same page. And because I want to surround my, myself with people who are uh, on the same page, with people who I enjoy communicating with, because uh, I, you know, a team for me is just, it's not just a team of people who's helping me to make my product come true and to make my, my company um, you know, profitable and whatever. Uh, to me, my clients are also my team because they're wow. spreading the message of product. My clients, absolutely, we're in the same boat. Mm. It's all my team. They're spreading the message about me, about my company. I communicate with, with them on a daily basis. Like I, you know, you know, we meet, we talk, we're, I, we're friends. You know, with most of my clients, I have really friendly relationships. 
and they're my team and I take care of them a lot. I don't want somebody on my team who doesn't fit. Yeah. This is not, I also have the luxury to choose. It's not just in, and I, and I'm sure many, they probably said no to a few investors. That's really interesting that you class your customer as part of your team, because in typical sales training, it's like, cool, get the customer, make, make the relationship, make, make the sale, move on to next customer. But, but you're, you're saying actually <laughs> the customer, I mean, obviously you have, I don't know, you know. I don't even like to use the word customer or client. You know, I, I use them, but they are mm. people <laughs> in the first place before they're customers and clients. There are people I talk to every day and there are people I have some sort of relationship with. Mm. So they're part of the team and you're... You know, by selling them your product, you're you're bringing them into your team, and you're on a, a journey together. You know, a an experience with the product together, and exactly, it's an experience. It's an experience we're sharing together. Because look at this. Look at all the sales training. Uh, look at how we call those people who buy our products. First, it's a lead. <laughs> it's a cold lead prospect it's a potential client it's an end user it's a customer it's a consumer you see so many names there's nothing human mm. about those names and it kind of people don't even notice how this enters uh, their brains and how this becomes part of the way they a part of the way they think about people they don't treat them as people and they're not interested in them as people they're only interested in their bank account information mm. that's it mm. <laughs> are you, are you, are you uh, can you afford my product I'm the only thing that um, they're interested in. And when the person senses that message, and I'm telling you, the people that I want to communicate with, let's say there are people uh, who are at a level higher than me at this moment, and I want to reach there. I want to learn to communicate on their level. And those people I mentioned before, they read people very well, and they sense the signals very, very accurately, yes. you know, very well. They, they sense that. So as soon as I send that message without having to say any words, no, I no, I'm done. <laughs> mm, literally done. And I don't want to send that message because it's not really what I care about. Mm, that's... It's the people who make the money. It's the people who give you money. It's not the bank. It's the people who work at the bank. Yes, and this actually is an interesting <laughs> junction in the conversation because now we can either talk about automation, robots, and algorithms, or we can talk about communication in different locales, for example, Asia, Russia, uh, or the parts of the world. Where should we go? Uh, I think it's both. They're both connected because the, the world is becoming so international, and uh, borders. You know, we're raising the borders because I have a network in Asia, in the U.S., in Europe, in Latin America, in South Africa, and I can find common language with everyone. So right now, the world is becoming a lot smaller. I would say, <clears throat> and what was the first thing you suggested about? Yeah, I mentioned talking about um, robots, automation, yeah. algorithmic communications, or this talking is, about, yeah. Yeah, this is what I wanted to say, because this uh, tendencies, or these trends are happening everywhere, right? Uh, automation, people are starting to um, be afraid that they're going to lose their jobs because the robots are going to take them, right? And the, everything, all the processes are being automated. And mm. I believe that even though we're going there, and probably a good thing, we will never be able to automate human communication. Never. I mean, mm. we, we made an attempt. You can write a script. You can write a script for, for the entire team. But it doesn't really help your business at all. <laughs> uh, and uh, I think this is a perfect time when we need to learn 
this skill. We need to acquire that skill because creativity, communication, um, problem solving, and the ability to translate a lot of complicated data into a very short and powerful message. This is what is in demand right now. The problem that the startups that they are having and uh, the technical companies, they're doing a, a, a fantastic thing. They have an amazing product and the team is brilliant. They're a genius, but they're not able to communicate what they're doing. They're not able to translate this into simple words mm. so that people like it, so that people understand it and, and people can imagine it. I'm, you know, I, they're not, what I say a lot is when you give a talk, when you give a speech, you need to give people something they can imagine, like something they can smell, they can touch, they can hear, they can taste, you know, something that is easy to imagine. People, we don't think in words, we think in images. And even in, in, if you would take into account the fact that so many startups are non-native speakers and everybody speaks English, right? The words you use uh, can be very misleading and confusing. So always give people something they can imagine. And people understand, people can imagine what they understand. And people only understand what is simple. <laughs> mm. So, yes, we're moving towards the era of automation, but at the same time, I'm convinced that the era of instructions is over. All this 15 things to eat for breakfast or five exercises in the gym or 15 cold, the templates of cold emails that will, or, I don't know, 20 ways to uh, nail a job interview. This era is done, it's over. We're approaching the new era where people need to learn to make meaningful connections because the robots will never be able to do it for them. And, <laughs> and it's fortunate, fortunate exactly. And it's interesting past, uh, where they were, the guests and the hosts were discussing this robot thing. And there was an interesting fact, you know, what robots can do and what all this smart software can do, they can replicate, they can repeat what a human already did. So if, if you know you give them a code or whatever, they can repeat and replicate, but they cannot create. And uh, robots can beat you in a game of chess or whatever, but still, statistically, they cannot beat twenty percent of of the population. And these twenty percent are either writers, or uh, creative engineers, or um, speakers. So people or educators, so people with all these creative ideas. Computers can't beat them because a computer or a robot can never make the connection between two th new things that have never been connected before. They can only replicate the connections that they know, but they can never connect something that has never been connected before. Only humans can do that, unfortunately. And mm -hmm. therefore, I think this fear is a little over-exaggerated. But what we as, as humans need to learn to do is to learn to communicate and to create thank you yeah that's that's nice nice dialogue that's great um and i think that resonates a lot with what i'm thinking about and talking to people about re recently as well because people you know there's obviously a lot of fear about technology um i interviewed the gtc just recently and they're talking about that and talking about how robots automation are coming and the best way to avoid being destroyed by <laughs> automation and robots is to actually understand automation and robots to actually integrate with them in terms of using optimized workflows and processes and operations and actually to be able to focus on, on the on the human parts that we already have and really yeah. develop those parts of our of ourselves you know so yeah we should take advantage of that yeah it exists we should take advantage of that but this language you see even how you said it the people are afraid to be destroyed by robots such a negative message that is being spread now worldwide instead people can focus on something more constructive <laughs> mm. 
and how about different locales though? Because I haven't done business or spoken to anybody in for example in, in Asia about about tech uh recently. I actually have to do that at some point. But yeah, what's tech like over in Asia right now? What's the story? How's it going? Um what how are people communicating? What are investors like over there? Any interesting stories? I you know Asia I, I'm not really a big expert in Asia yet, but um I would say that the in the way people communicate in their investment strategies and their communication strategies are very interesting and they're very different from the Western world. So first of all, they will listen to you even even if you're saying something that is absolute crap. <laughs> so they will never interrupt the patient. You never know. Uh, like they have such a poker face. You never know most of the time, especially with Japanese. Are they really listening or are they not? Or are they really interested or are they not? So it's mm. impolite to interrupt. So they will continue listening and, and kind of, it's very frustrating in the beginning because you're used to getting feedback, you know, at least people will give you some facial expression and they will ask a question here, there's, there's nothing. They're very respectful and um, there, is, there are a lot of good tech startups in Asia, like a lot. Last mm -hmm. time I was in Malaysia in August and I was introduced to so many great projects. There are good projects in China, there are great projects in Thailand in Malaysia, in Korea, um, and, and some of them, actually, I met them in Switzerland when some of the Korean projects went to uh, an incubator in Switzerland. Uh, mm -hmm. That was, I think, an interesting experience. They wanted to, to learn how their Western clients and customers think, so they, want, they went there to learn that. But mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of interesting technical teams in Asia, and uh, yeah, they're getting funded. Interesting. And yeah, because I want to actually talk about incubators, accelerators actually as well. Uh, what are your experience, what, have you, what has your experience been of incubators and accelerators? Uh, I have a lot of friends who uh, graduated from accelerators, incubators. I'm currently a mentor at an managers, uh, creative cap advisors. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, yeah, and uh, in Switzerland, I also met a person who was managing for 10 years in San Francisco so I have a lot of interesting stories but what is what is interesting to me is that none of um, none of them have communication section of their curriculum <laughs> oh dear yeah, they teach them how to do Facebook ads they teach them how to I don't know how to find investors they teach them how to I don't know how to build a team how to hire people how to get the first clients but this communication section is just not there and you know in the beginning well my first language is Russian in the beginning I thought it's just a problem of non-native speakers who are struggling to speak and to do business in a second language so they really don't know how to reach out to people and they make a stupid mistakes like they cold email um with you know like russians they're very direct cold email you with a message i need this yeah i don't have time for this hello i just <laughs> crazy <laughs> yeah and it's just it's just russian it's just how we you know how we communicate with each other who has time for that you know <laughs> and I, and I first thought that's just a very cultural difference. But then when I started working with people from London, from San Francisco, from Switzerland, from um, Hong Kong and Singapore, I realized it's a very, it's a global problem. But people really don't know how to communicate and how to take into account all these cultural differences. And that if you come, if you approach a person with this message, I have an agenda and I need you, it's not enough. <laughs> it's not mm. enough. So, 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 so here's a question to Natalia, is that obviously everyone has an agenda and, yeah. you know, it's about trying to 
frame frame that agenda in a way that's not necessarily offensive or no, it's not no it's not about framing it's about the it's because, and the intention is people like we as humans we as we have a universal skill that nobody needs to train you to do we have a universal skill and this is we feel we feel when something is wrong right like mm-hmm. we we just feel it like uh, you enter this um i don't know if you have media mart there in the uk they sell electronics but usually you enter a big hypermarket that sells electronics and there will be 10 people wearing uniform and who are actually ready to help you and you enter that mm-hmm. um the, the shop and you don't know why but you intuitively choose one of those 10 people and you approach them and you say i need this i'm looking for your phone let's say you don't know why you mm-hmm. haven't chosen the best but you chose that person intuitively and and okay okay we, we have that skill we feel when something goes wrong so it's, it's about the intention and let's say my intention is and my agenda and yeah, my intention is to build a network of people um like build a team that will uh, that will benefit from this mutual exchange hmm. that's the intention to find the right people with whom i can grow to i can grow and we benefit if your intention okay. is just you know i need this for if your if your agenda is like you know, I need to get something, and your intention is just you know I, to sell me something, it's different. I think I understand this. I mean, I have. I hope I made I myself I clear. <laughs> I don't really. Yeah. yeah. I I so I think I'm, I understand this now. So you're saying that. You, you, yeah, yeah. I'm saying it's not just framing. Because, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm saying it's not just framing because a lot of people may think now after listening to the podcast that you just have to put it in beautiful words and you have to frame. No, it. no, it's no. more than that. It's about yes. it's about having a having a, like like a you know a deep, meaningful desire. It's about having having a desire to create a meaningful yeah. relationship. Yeah, exactly. A mutually beneficial win-win relationship yeah. and. That will involve us helping each other and us getting better together. Is that kind of yeah. what you're saying? As opposed yeah. to being like, oh, so here's my agenda framed yeah. in nice font, in yes. <laughs> nice paragraphs with nice spaces. You know, you're saying exactly. that it isn't about the paragraphs and the spaces or the font. It's about being able to convey a desire for a meaningful relationship that's mutually beneficial. Absolutely, yeah. The intention is what people feel. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And then from there, you can then grow and collaborate and do work together. And yeah. I guess for me, I mean, I've, I've been quite fortunate in that I've been told that I'm quite high, high EQ. So I think for me, I didn't really think about that. It's kind of just like happens. But for a lot of people, mm-hmm. a lot of my friends that haven't got high EQ, but have very, very, very high IQ, for example, they find it quite difficult to think about, oh, how does a person feel? You know, it's like some people are really, yeah, we're all all very different. And the sensitivity, that awareness of how a person feels, I think is really, really important. And again, like robots can't do that yet, yet. Exactly. (laughs) No, I I think if we continue developing skill, then they will never be able to beat us because we can create, robots can't create. You can only replicate. Mm, that's interesting. Okay, so we're coming up to an hour. I'm just thinking about if there are any kind of topics or things that we haven't necessarily. So actually, yeah. So I wanted to ask you about uh, general, general tips and tricks for everyone that 
uses the internet because obviously everyone sells right if you have a job if you, you work for a company you mm -hmm. still are selling like selling isn't just on entrepreneurship yes as soon as you open your mouth you start selling actually mm, that's true that's true. <laughs> <laughs> true even yourself or your values or your attitude yes. Very simple. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you as a communications expert here, Natalia, you know, what are some, like, some, if a, if a person came to you today and said, Natalia, I need help with improving every aspect of my communication, what three things can I do right now to help me on my journey of communication in, in sales, both in terms of sales as a human being in terms of being a normal person in society, but also in terms of my business and my startup? Because selling isn't just business it's also about normal general relationships as well so what do you think about that if a person came to right now three things <laughs> uh, I, think, I think number one people should focus on brevity sorry again sorry sorry and, uh, it clipped out then. they should focus on developing the skill of being brief oh, brevity yeah because uh, when you sell Mm, you know, sometimes you have a meeting scheduled and you uh, enter the office of the person who invited you and you have an hour and then you can, you know, roll your presentation, you can give everything you prepared. But very often people will say, oh, look, uh, look, I got to go in 15 minutes. Can we make it quick? You know, or look, I, we have to reschedule and I only have half an hour. Or you meet a person at a networking event somewhere. So you always need to have a brief version of your pitch and a detailed version. There is always, and, and a lot of people, the problem with a lot of startups, uh, especially when they present at conferences, you know, when you're a number six, and everybody before you have abused their time and now and and right after your presentation it's lunchtime <laughs> and instead of 15 minutes that you planned you now only have five mm. a lot of startups are trying to put their 15 minute presentation in five minutes this is where the problem happens so mm. instead of trying to jam that 15 minute talk in five or three minutes you need to have a two minute version of your talk mm. It's a completely different. And then you will be relaxed. You will be confident uh, you know, in what you're saying because you're not trying to make it on the spot. You actually are prepared. So try learning to be brief, learning to crystallize your message, put it in 10 words, put it in one tweet and having a brief version all the time. And uh, the next thing is, I would say, number two is learning to relax more. <laughs> like, don't mm. approach people with this desperation for money, desperation feeling desperate that you're you know you have the deadline or whatever just relax more and uh, allow a person to see that you're also a human being and the third the third thing i would say talk to your talk to people more talk especially to people who can potentially use your product or who are already using your product we a lot of people who sell and a lot of startups are trying to create something based on their assumptions in their head but they and they talk to investors before they actually talk to clients that's this another mistake actually because the investor um, it, an investor wants to see um you know who's actually going to buy that have you spoken to your clients already have you people you think will enjoy using that product mm -hmm. and when you don't have that information you know you're not going to win in this negotiation so ask just ask people questions about your product talk to people without having the intention to sell anything just try to understand people more and and i think the skill of talking to people without trying to sell something to them and being okay with the fact that people don't buy is a whole new skill that also a lot of people can benefit from if they develop it 
that would be my three things. <laughs> Thank you. That's really, I think people, I think listeners really value that. And I think it definitely opened my mind in terms of thinking about how you think about customers mm-hmm. and communication and relationships. And I think it's really good to have the discussion about that because we get so caught up with this race and this struggle and this you know pursuit and i think and worse than that it becomes a standard it becomes a new standard that you need to hustle you need to struggle you need to pursue things you need to hurry it is becoming a standard and i think it's quite dangerous as well oh yeah i I see it all so much on linkedin like i saw some guy post some it's basically like a a jpeg image and the image said 5 a.m uh-huh. uh it said, it said the time when champions wake up and when champions go to bed it's <laughs> <laughs> so necessary <laughs> it's like why and then video like selfie video saying oh i have like twenty thousand connections on, on linkedin i love it if you had one of you you know i'm i'm like grinding away hashtag hustle da, 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 da. thanks for your feedback and it's just like yeah yeah, you know what, Hassani? Lonely people are always surrounded by crowds, mm. unfortunately. But they're very, mm. they're very lonely, in fact. But they're, you know, the crowd mm. around them is very big, and they're working for the crowd. They often don't work for themselves. They, they're working to entertain the crowd, and it's pathetic. But at the same point in time, there are some people that, you know, have some really good things to say. And I follow some yes. people that have great networks and have 20,000 followers, but actually are really down to earth. But they don't do people. it. They don't post these things publicly, probably. Mm. <laughs> I don't know, because what's the point? I want to ask a person, what's the point of making this information public? True. That you woke true. up at 5 a.m. What's the point? So that you want approval? You want recognition? What do you want? Hmm. Yeah, it's you really know, like, interesting, and <laughs> I, I, I try. I always to... ask the question, "Why? Why do you share? Why should I see it? Or what's your intention here?" I like this intention thing. That's my. I always ask this whenever I meet a new person. I always ask myself, "What is their intention?" And when I'm learning about a person, I understand their intention. Hmm. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like that, and, and I really mm-hmm. tend to kind of steer clear of that. You know, success baloney um, on. You know, for example, LinkedIn, it gets a bit much. And I kind of wonder, you know, because there are some people that may, may not have that sense of awareness to be like, oh, this is baloney, and actually absorb it and take it on board and think that they have to behave that way to be quote unquote successful. And it's actually like, no, you haven't got to, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's just this very confusing um, game where people are just posting, again, baloney. And people are absorbing it you know with or without realizing it so yeah. i think yeah. I, I guess as well just a very quick segue what do you think about posting content and tweeting and having a personal brand because obviously you have quite a nice personal brand you've got a nice photo you've got like a nice custom cover up with your name on it that's your personal brand right and then what do you think about personal branding in general is it good bad things to do things to avoid i think people are obsessed too much with with a personal brand because like, they focus so much on the form on the pictures on the style on the fonts on the colors and very often it's quite shallow there's nothing behind it so this obsession with building a personal brand um look there are, i think there are two types of people there are people who react to the packaging 
And there are people who react to the actual content. So if you're, I always ask myself, who is this for? Are you building your website or your personal brand to attract people who are going to react at the, on the packaging? Or are you actually creating something meaningful for people who will see what's behind the packaging? Mm. So I think it has to be there. People like, this is how people see you and this is how they interact with you pictures the content should be valuable so it all you know it, ha- it all has um its place and it has you know it has the right to exist but it's not very often i see that it's a little too much and there's not so much meaning behind it mm-hmm. but i'm definitely one of those person one of those people who reacts to what's behind the packaging oh god yeah definitely and <laughs> actually i did that as well i went to your profile and you seem to remove that cover art with your name on it <laughs> where's it gone we <laughs> just deleted it <laughs> what yeah on, on your on your profile on linkedin you, you used yeah. to have a nice nice cover uh, art with the name on it oh no it's still there it's, it didn't load yeah it's still, it's still there, there. Yeah, it's still yeah, there yeah, yeah, it says yeah. communication helps make sense of any mess. mess i like yeah, yeah i get that <laughs> it's quite funny because um recently i made my own website um mm-hmm. and I did it for a really important reason because when I was meeting people at events or whatever or you know even out or something but oh hey Asani cool let's connect online what's your LinkedIn what's your Facebook what's your Instagram what's your number what's your email <laughs> and I was <laughs> like spending, spending a good you know five minutes per person trying to like get all the information down and I thought wouldn't it be easier if I had just one place where, where a person can get all my information that they want and just click there. So that for me was the reason about making my own website was a really easy place to go integrate all my social media channels, links mm-hmm. and information to one place. And I think there is obviously a place for personal brand. There is because yeah, absolutely. As well, people should be able to find you easily. Yes. And to see what you're creating. Absolutely. And also as well, I think that for example, your personal brand, your your profile here, it's all well organized. You've got you know, a nice buy, you've got the cover art, you've got you know, a strong um, uh, picture and a good um, quote. And I think that when I first connected with you online on LinkedIn, I was like, cool. She obviously is investing in herself and investing in her brand. So I want to know more. Oh, interesting. Do you know? I actually write a lot more like on, on Facebook. And I, write, I write a lot more in so for my Russian-speaking audiences, and I invest in, in my personal brand Russian a lot more than in English. But it's interesting, interesting feedback. You know, another thing I wanted to say about this um, building a personal brand, and I wanted to ask you a question, actually. Do you write reviews when you travel, and do you write testimonials for people who help you? I do occasionally. I think uh-huh. it depends. It, do you enjoy doing that? Yeah, so going further, I think it depends on what value it would confer to the person or organization that I write the review for. For example, I have a friend from university, really great guy, like a really exceptional human being. And mm-hmm. I wanted to write a review for him saying, you know, this guy's great, awesome to work with, exceptional person. You know, he, he's, he's so full of energy and life and love. And this person is going to be successful, whatever that means to him, <laughs> caveat. Um, and mm-hmm. I thought that was really important for me to write that because I feel that for his particular journey and the, or, and the environments that he moves around, I think it would value him to have a review from me on his page. Whereas- And you wrote it, right? You wrote it. I wrote it, yeah, 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 for his, for his uh, LinkedIn. And I think that for him and for the, the circles that he operates in and for what he wants to achieve with his life, it was 
going to be useful to, for him to have a review on his page. Whereas my other friends, you know, wouldn't necessarily need that because they aren't trying to accumulate status or, or, or respect in an intense corporate environment, you know? So mm. I think I think it depends. And for example as well, mm. like if I go to a large chain of restaurants, it wouldn't really be, it may not be of value to them or to me to write a review for their fried chicken because they have a thousand reviews of fried chicken. <laughs> but if my close friend has just started up a artisan, I don't know, falafel hut in town, it could be worth a lot to them mm -hmm. and to me as well to write a, a review for them because they serve awesome falafel and because they're trying to widen their reach and they're trying to show credibility. So I think it's about what value does a review or testimonial confer to that person, and I guess to you as well. But generally, it's always mm -hmm. for the other person rather than for you. But that's kind of how I think about testimonials and, and, and reviews. Yeah. It's the value it confers to the other person on the what they're trying to achieve. And if it helps them, I want to help them on their journey. Thank you so much for sharing. You know, the reason I'm asking is, is, is this, I'm going to explain in a second. So you said two important things. You said, I want, I do it more for another person than for myself because I want to help. And you said, I wanted to write this review, right? Because you really wanted, you, you felt the need to write it. And when people build their personal brands, what I see a lot is that they're asking other people for testimonials and for reviews. And, hmm. you know, you go to any like I know fitness coach or coach or you know I'm gonna help to create a narrative for your brand whatever you scroll down and there will be always a bunch of testimonials on their websites which I never read because I don't trust them <laughs> <laughs> but I know how it works from inside out so when people are building their websites and they're focused on creating a personal brand they uh, ask people to write a testimonial to write a review look remember I helped you two months ago can you please write a review I'm gonna use it from my website and a lot of people feel very kind of, you know, reluctant to do that because they don't need it. Like I, as a customer, I don't need to write a review. I'm not going to benefit from writing a review unless we are friends, unless we have a good relationship and I really want to help. Mm. But the person who is creating their personal brand, he or she is going to benefit from my testimonial because they're going to use it as a sales tool. They're going to use my testimonial to sell more, mm. you know? And, and this is why when people, I never ask my clients to write anything but what happens is they always write <laughs> i never ask for that mm. but they always feel the need or they want to write and you know when when somebody is inquiring about my services i simply say well here are the contacts of people who took my uh training just talk to them oh wow that's 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 interesting and, it, and it's just it's when i choose let's say a school i don't know to learn how to cook or when I choose a school how to make great photographs or whatever when I choose to learn something it's a pain to 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 get the context of people who actually graduated from that school because on their sales page they're going to say we are awesome and here are the testimonials written by a copywriter you know for five bucks an hour <laughs> and but I want to learn like how, what results did the people actually get the people who graduated from your school the people who learned here what results did they get I want to talk to real people and um, it's it's a pain to find companies that are ready to share this information. I resonate with that because if you are a personal trainer, for example, and you're trying to grow your business, you're going to have to have testimonials and reviews on your website. And for example, yeah. as well, you may even go further to use a video. I remember I was over in Berlin. I was going for a run mm -hmm. one afternoon, and um, I met a woman in the park, started chatting. Turns out she's like a real thought leader in the whole 
vegan vegan health space and just talking mm-hmm. about you know her company talking about what she went through to build her company and i went on her website after and you know she has you know very good branding and a good page and testimonial reviews and testimonial videos and <laughs> and after watching the videos i kind of realized that it's 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 kind of what you need to have sometimes to actually make it credible you know i met her she's an awesome person she actually loves loves mm-hmm. her you know what she does like eight percent body fat she obviously is healthy um but mm-hmm. at the same point in time how do you convey that to people who are going to buy your service if they haven't met you in the park and chatting to you about your company so yeah video testimonials are different and i guess you can't really force people to make a video testimonial so they have to feel the need or the desire to and if that's there that's perfect that's wonderful that if people really wanted to uh you know to make a video testimonial for her that's that's amazing yeah i think that's the really important part is that people i think the customer the customer wants to help you make make your make your brand grow and i think going further well going back rather to what you were saying earlier about think of customers as team Exactly. I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to pick up on that now here. Yeah, because when you see the video are talking about the product of use, they are also her team, you know, the customers who are sharing testimonials because they're spreading the message and they're convincing the new customers to join that experience. And and yeah, you just gave a perfect example yourself how customers can become a team. Yeah. Mm, that's really good. See so yeah, Natalia, it's been a fascinating conversation. Really interesting conversation. Yeah, you know, thank you so much. For, I really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, you know, I'm going to push this out there to people because this is super interesting. Um, and thank you, as always. You know, yeah, if you're ever in Europe, give me a shout. Be good to talk Absolutely. in person as well. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll obviously stay in touch. In terms of your social media channels, where can people find you? What should they search for? Um, I'm on LinkedIn as Natalia Toker, T-O-K-A-R. Uh, I have a podcast on SoundCloud. So over there, um, Natasha Tilker. So it's one of the same name. A lot of people don't understand it, but yeah, it's one of the same. You know, it, Russian culture is weird. Alexander and Sasha are the, just the same names. Just Sasha is the short form of Alexander. So um, Natasha Tilker on SoundCloud, Natalia Tilker on LinkedIn. And if you speak Russian, you probably want to join my Facebook. I'm, I'm there as Natalia Tilker as well. Okay, yeah, because you post Russian content on facebook but oh, yeah, on facebook, english yeah. you know that linkedin is banned in russia so really <laughs> this is why people yeah people use facebook as um as a as a social network to build their personal brand to for business purposes as well so i didn't know that interesting interesting yeah it's banned <laughs> well yeah natalia have an awesome day and uh i'll you be too. in touch take care yeah take care bye thank you for the conversation